Welcome back to another episode of By Studying and By Faith, where we take a look at critical thinking skills and apply them to LDS theology and history. I'm Zach Wright, and we've got a really great episode today. We're going to be talking a little bit about confidence and bias, and I'm super excited to get into it. Before we get into that, though, I did want to make one quick plug for the Defending the Book of Mormon conference that's coming up here on... Uh, September 22nd to sept- September 23rd, just over the just over the weekend there, and they're going to have a lot of really great speakers. So, for instance, on Friday evening, that Friday evening, they're going to have Richard Bushman talk. He's the author of the very well-known biography on Joseph Smith, Rough Stone Rolling, and personally, one of my favorite historians ever. So, I'm super excited to be able to kind of tune into that. I hope that you'll be able to tune in as well. It should be streaming on the FAIR YouTube channel. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Definitely worth listening to. However, that plug aside, I do think it's time to go ahead and get started here today. So I I didn't want to begin with one example here. So imagine to yourself for a moment that a a critic of the church stumbles across some some quotes about about the Adam-God theory from... Uh, let's just say Brigham Young, and they come to the, they they begin to reason within themselves. They say Brigham Young taught this, and seeing as he was a prophet, this must be what Mormons believe, and so they rush to social media and they post these quotes online, proclaiming that Mormons believe that Adam was God the Father. Your leaders taught it, therefore you must believe it. However, what? This, this critic may not know is that as early as 1897, we have records of church leaders that, that talk about this, this idea of Brigham just saying this is kind of his opinion. Um, you can take a look in the article for sources about that. But as a response to that and them hearing that, the critic doesn't really retreat from their position. We're just saying that hypothetically they don't and they double down on how members of the church believe it. Of course, they have to. And at the end of the day, regardless of what other sources or evidence might state, their their bias led them to an incorrect conclusion about what members of the church believe. For those who are well acquainted with with criticisms of the church, I'm sure that you can think of very similar examples of, of how critics of the church may do something like that, but that's not necessarily the focus of today's topic per se. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about confidence and its relationship to bias. So in our last episode, we talked a little bit about cognitive biases and the way that sometimes the heuristics that we have and our intuition can sometimes lead us to conclusions that aren't really correct or they they're missing very important aspects of information. However, in the example above, it wasn't necessarily just bias that was affecting it. It was also their their confidence in the idea. And I, today I wanted to take some time to explore a, a couple of other cognitive biases, specifically in their relationship to this idea of confidence and psychological certainty. So I'm going to be drawing a little bit on, on the video that I, that I made and the article I wrote on epistemology. A little while ago. But the, the reason I bring this up is because critical thinkers need to be aware of how confidence and bias are related 
because both of those things can lead to incorrect conclusions if they are not used appropriately, or at least confidence can, can sometimes lead us to incorrect conclusions or allow us to, if nothing else, to double down on said incorrect conclusions. So for kind of formatting, the way we're going to format this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of what psych psychology studies state about uh, confidence and how, how bias can kind of play into that. And then we're going to talk about a couple of confidence-related biases that I have found. And afterwards, we're going to talk about how to be able to overcome said biases. So let's get into it. So again, before I can launch into examples of what some of these biases are and what psychologists have named some of these biases to be, I, I first need to you know, explain how bias and confidence are related. For example, we have the overconfidence bias, which is, the, which is described as the tendency for people to have more confidence in their own abilities than their, other, than their peers. And this is manifest in a lot of different ways. So for instance, most drivers consider themselves to be more competent than other drivers, which I thought was funny. Naturally, I'm the best driver, and so we just have to fully accept that as a fact without critically thinking about it. However, this idea makes sense, of course. In our last episode, we talked about how dominant emotions, such as high confidence, can sometimes skew our ability to objectively analyze the data. And on top of that, there are a couple of studies that do talk about how confidence and bias are related. And I've got one example for us today to talk about. So imagine this scenario. You have a group of researchers who set up a study where you have the participants try to determine whether a group of dots move to the left or to the right. Simple enough. Uh, sometimes the dots moved more noticeably in a given direction, and sometimes they, they didn't. And after, after they made a decision, they were shown evidence that either confirmed what they had initially guessed or challenged what they initially guessed. So they had like confirmatory or deconfirmatory, is that a word? Evidence that went against their initial guess. That's what I'm trying to say. They then used uh, a method called magnetoencephalography, which is today's $10 word. And that's just a fancy way of saying that they, they scanned the participants' brains to see what was going on when they were making these decisions. And as they were doing that, they, they found some rather interesting results. And so one quote from the study I was reading stated the following. Uh, quote, as hypothesized, we found that after high confidence versus low confidence decisions, accumulation of neural evidence was facilitated if it was confirmatory, but largely abolished if it was disconfirmatory. That's the right word. In other words, the MEG analysis, that's the magnetoencephalography analysis, reveals that high confidence leads to post-decision accumulation becoming blind to disconfirmatory evidence. To translate that, it basically means that the participants were super confident in their decisions, and as a result, it led them to be blinded to evidence that went against their decisions. If that sounds familiar, it, it, it should because that's what we talked about bias being, and it's specifically confirmation bias, where we only accept ideas that agree with our own ideas. And, and this study was super useful in being able to demonstrate how our confidence and bias are related, 
in, in ways that maybe we may not expect. And it's important to, to keep that in mind as we continue talking about the relationship between these two things. However, before I continue, I, I do want to make one kind of disclaimer. I'm not saying that confidence about something is inherently bad. As we talked about in, our, in the episode about epistemology, there are ways to be certain or confident about something that, that don't lead us or are less likely to lead us to incorrect ideas. And we just kind of need to understand that because it, it can be just as problematic for us if we just try to abandon all certainty about things as it can be, as confidence can sometimes cause problems for us. Or let me put that another way. It can be just as, it can be just as problematic to have too much confidence as it can be problematic to have not any confidence at all. Confidence in and of itself is a tool and it's, it's something that can be helpful to us. However, just like any tool, it has to be properly used. And sometimes when it's employed inappropriately, it can lead us to problems as we'll soon talk about today. So to begin explaining how, or more concretely, how bias and confidence are related, I, I think of an excellent place to start and it's talking about the Dunning-Kruger effect. Now, a lot of people have heard about this. It's, it's based off of the psychologists David Dunning and Justin Kruger. And they published a very famous uh, paper back in the late 90s that talked a little bit about how people rate themselves in terms of their ability. So they, they basically tested people on their, their, their social and intellectual skills um, logic, sense of humor, stuff like that. And they then had the participants rate themselves on how well they did. And what they found was, was really interesting. They found that the people that had scored in the bottom percentiles happened to rate themselves as being much more competent than they actually were. I want to say that in the study itself, it talked about how people who were in like the 12th percentile, people who like ranked 12 out of one, like the 88% out of 100, like 88th place out of 100, they rated themselves as being like in the mid to upper 40s in, in how they placed, much more competent than how they actually scored. And of, of course, since that time, we have psychologists who have studied a lot of the Dunning-Kruger effect, and it's been decently established and talked about in a variety of different publications since that time. However, those who are familiar, or maybe I shouldn't say however, but those who are familiar with uh, my previous episode understand that there are certain aspects that make up a cognitive bias. Uh, usually a lot of them stem from this idea of pattern recognition, uh, focusing on dominant information and ignoring seemingly irrelevant information. And you'll notice that the Dunning-Kruger effect employs very much a similar thing. For the, for the Dunning-Kruger effect, you can make a pretty decent argument that a lot of the time they are a victim of all of those things. So first, they, they recognize a pattern that they've been able to accomplish tasks such as deductive reasoning before. You know, in, in, the, in the experiment itself, it was, it was math. Um, 
they were able to prioritize that information seemingly at the expense of disconfirmatory ideas. And th this, this led them to an incorrect conclusion. As you can probably imagine though, the information that they were discounting uh, was often very important. And in a lot of these instances, the information that they're missing can often complicate the simplicity of the answers that they're looking for. And, and this becomes increasingly apparent as time goes on, but by the, by the time that a lot of people realize that they've been, you know, that they've been employing the Dunning-Kruger effect or they, 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 they're able to identify the Dunning-Kruger effect, the, the effects of their actions have already had some very long lasting consequences and some very often devastating consequences. To, to kind of explain a little bit more about the Dunning-Kruger effect, I think it's useful to kind of provide another illustration of it. So I'm, I'm willing to poke fun at myself a little bit. And so I'll, I'll use myself as a hypothetical example. Uh, arguably, I happen to be one of the, the few people right now doing a series on specifically critical thinking in regards to LDS theology and history. I'm not saying that no other people have talked about it, but I, I am dedicating an awful lot of time to it. And so let's let's just pretend for the sake of argument that I that I suddenly get a bunch of followers and I you know get a bunch of internet traffic on my articles and I suddenly become super, super famous. Afterwards, you have people reaching out to me, asking me more obscure aspects about LDS history, which I may know less about. I mean, I can I can tell you about the things I've studied whether that be epistemology or evaluating resources or logic and deductive reasoning, stuff like that. But I'm, I'm certainly less equipped to tell you about every single pioneer story that occurred in the historical record. That, that would be an area of which I am not super advanced in my studies. However, because I want to be successful and I want to make people happy, I decide to try and answer the questions to the best of my ability. This of course puts me in a situation where I am more likely to give incorrect answers. And I, um, I begin saying more and more things that are wrong, but because I was right about some things in this instance, I have the confidence to keep persisting in my, correct, in my, my incorrect ideas. And of course, any attempts to correct my incorrect ideas in this hypothetical scenario would fall on deaf ears because I would be far too inexperienced to recognize how I was wrong. This is the Dunning-Kruger effect in its purest form. It's it put by Dunning and Kruger themselves reported this principle in the following way, quote, those with limited knowledge in a domain suffer a dual burden. Not only do they reach mistaken conclusions and make regrettable errors, but their incompetence robs them of the ability to realize it. Now, is that somewhat an exaggeration of what might have happened? Yeah, obviously, but I do think it does go to show this principle. And it's interesting because this, is all, this, this idea is also present in the formal business world. It's often referred to as the Peter Principle, in, in which you have a manager, uh, where, where managers will prioritize, uh, one, one source put it, they will prioritize current job performance in in promotion decisions at the expense of other observable characteristics that better predict managerial performance. Or in other words, people look at what employees do 
And they assume that because they're doing well right now that they will do better and they will do just as well in an upper management position. Uh, this, of course, is, is a fallacious logic for a variety of different reasons. But it's, it's events like this that often lead to the Dunning-Kruger effect, where a person being promoted, either formally, like in, like in a business setting, or even informally, such as on social media platforms, uh, they will suddenly begin to feel confident about their abilities, despite the obvious lack, or maybe less obvious lack of ability that they may have in a given area. In fact, to kind of show this, I can even put it into a, a syllogistic form. So we, we have our, our first premise where I say, I was able to solve or answer X problem using X method. And then the second premise would be, I am presented with Y problem. The conclusion, of course, from that logic, I, I would draw that it would I will be able to solve Y problem using X method. The premises in this instance don't support this conclusion, and if you can figure out what fallacy that I'm employing, brownie points for you, because I don't think that's a fallacy I've talked about yet on this show. Uh, again, though, proficiency in one area does not guarantee proficiency in another. And I I'm sure the, r the reader can imagine examples of the Dunning-Kruger effect in a variety of different settings, such as politics, I've already mentioned work and, of course, religious discussion, kind of like what we're talking about today. Now, I, I hope I've stated things in, in an accurate and useful way to critical thinkers. But regardless of how well-intentioned I may be, that doesn't necessarily change the, the fact that the internet as a whole is really conducive to the Dunning-Kruger effect. Just normal, ordinary people with no research or with, with no prior research experience can just go online and just say whatever they want. And it's super easy to find ways to promote bias through social media platforms and in an online setting. However, this is why I think critical thinking skills are as important as they are. We need to be able to parse through the information in such a way to where we are less likely to be led astray by bad ideas, and consequently, less likely to fall victim to the Dunning-Kruger effect, whether we endorse ideas that are inaccurate or promote ideas that are inaccurate. If we don't, it becomes all the easier for us to fall victim to cognitive biases and fallacious thinking, which is something that we as critical thinkers should avoid whenever possible. However, that, that kind of leads us back to the flip side of this problem. So we, we've talked about how people who are low achieving tend to rate themselves as being much more proficient than they actually are. But that still leaves us with the question of the people who are proficient in their fields. Surely you'd think that they would recognize their own ability and rate themselves as being just as proficient as they actually are, or perhaps even more proficient. However, interestingly enough, we actually find the opposite to be true. High-achieving, competent people often rate themselves as being less competent than their peers. And it's my understanding it doesn't happen all the time, but some of the sources I was looking at were stating that it happens to about 70% of the population at least once in their lives, or they, they reported feeling that way, at least. And it's a little interesting because some of the sources I was able to find said that it was the, the inverse of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, 
I wasn't able to find a ton of information on that, but it, it is worth mentioning that a lot of people associate this idea with, with the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's, it's more commonly known as imposter syndrome, which is probably a more familiar term to a lot of people. Impo the imposter effect, also known as imposter syndrome, was, was initially described by Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes. And this pair of researchers initially, they, they talked a little bit about how people who uh, were promoted to higher positions often, or sorry, people who were super competent were less likely to accept positions of, of higher authority or they, they felt like imposters. Now, oddly enough, th this pair of researchers initially assumed that only women felt this way. Current research seems to indicate otherwise. But, uh, some authors do argue, though, that it happens more to women than men, while others suggest that imposter syndrome just manifests itself differently among men and women. Regardless, the confidence problem inherent in the imposter effect contributes to the Dunning-Kruger effect. Because if the, the people who are competent aren't speaking up about specific issues, and if the people who are, the, the people who are informed about a subject just keep their mouths shut, it leaves a lot of empty space to be filled by the people who are less informed about the subject. Furthermore, we run into a problem because the imposter effect can have some very negative effects on people and their performance. So it's not just affecting the people who are outside the person feeling the imposter, you know, feeling like an imposter. It actually, there are negative things that are correlated to the people who feel like an imposter. So for, let me let me clarify that. Uh, as you can imagine, the imposter effect is highly associated with uh, increased rates of anxiety, depression, and those, those feelings are serious and can cause problems in a variety of different aspects in our lives. But something just as problematic is how the imposter effect can, can negatively impact critical thinkers in their quest to solve problems. How is that? Well, imagine for yourself that you have a, I'll, I'll use a scenario that might be more familiar to church members. So you have a brand new foreign speaking missionary who, who's afraid to speak up because their trainer appears to be much more competent than them in terms of speaking or even understanding the lesson content. Or, or how about a bishop who resists a calling as, as, as becoming a stake president because they're afraid that others will discover his inadequacy. Examples of similar phenomena can be found outside of LDS culture, but you can probably already see the principle at play. This can inhibit really good, really well-meaning, really competent people from being willing to go out into the world and try and make a difference. And that just seems like a travesty to me on so many levels. We need critical thinkers. This, of course, prompts the question, though. Uh, how do we overcome the Dunning-Kruger effect and imposter syndrome? Um, I think some of the ways that I mentioned in the previous article talk, are, are, are worth noting. So again, slowing down, looking at things from a different perspective, and getting a multitude of different opinions can, can all contribute to overcoming a lot of these biases that are related to confidence. But... I also think it's worthwhile to examine this from a different perspective as well, specifically from a 
from a more philosophical perspective because I mostly what I've been doing so far is I've been pulling from the psychological aspect of this. And that's important. But I do think it's also important to be able to look at this from a more theological perspective. And I'll explain why more later, but let's just take a look at that for a moment. Humility in our theological context is described as our uh, as recognizing our dependence on God. And I totally agree with that. And of course, an obvious application here is humility would allow people to more easily admit when they don't know something, hampering the effects of the Dunning-Kruger effect. There's also a bit more to it though. When we recognize that our eternal value doesn't come necessarily from what we know, rather it comes from who we are, it's easier for us to be able to kind of decrease the, the threat levels of being wrong. And so for, for people who may or may not be, who are more likely to be subjected to things like the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, it's easier for them to, instead of double down on their criticisms or the things that they found to be wrong, it would be easier for them to outrightly just admit that they're being wrong or outrightly just do their best to try and correct the mistakes that they make. What about Im imposter syndrome though? Those, those are, that's a very different problem from the Dunning-Kruger effect. Surely the, the solution must be very different. Well, I don't think so. At least when I've thought about it, I haven't really arrived at that conclusion. So for, for instance, one aspect of humility comes from this idea that we believe that we are all children of God and that we all have the same value in the eyes of God. And that certainly does a really good job of keeping our, our egos down. But I also think it helps kind of elevate people in a way that I think is rather unique. We, we, suddenly, we, we suddenly then realize that it, it, we're not worse than anybody else in the eyes of God. We are all equally loved in the eyes of God. And again, I think it kind of shifts the game that we're playing in our heads. Instead of having our value be exclusively based off of what we do, it, it's based off of this, this, per, this idea of who we are. It, it's pulling on this divine identity that uplifts and ennobles us in a lot of ways. In an ironic twist, I, I think that humility decreases the fear that comes from failure. When we realize that our true worth comes from our inherent unalienable relationship with God, we open the door to true enduring happiness. And consequently, it, it allows people the confidence to be able to speak up. They're, instead of being afraid of failure or being outed as a failure, they're, they're actively more concerned with cultivating a relationship with God and cultivating a relationship with other people. And they're, they're more likely to be able to do everything that they can to fulfill their divine destiny and help other people along the way. They're, they're not scared of being an imposter. How can you be an imposter when everyone is, in was, is a child of God? Now, I'm not blind to the fact that humility can exist in places outside of the church. General Christians alongside atheists as well as members of the church are all able to experience this kind of humility, though arguably for different reasons. However, I bring this idea of humility up for a few reasons, kind of like what I was talking about earlier. First, I, I obviously want to show how confidence and bias relate to each other and likewise state my opinion as to how I think we can mitigate the effects of confidence and bias in this way. 
however, I, I also think that there is use in trying to, to bring together two different ideas. Let's just, let's just take a step back for a minute. Critical thinking involves us being able to look at different data points that come from different perspectives with different goals and using the data as a means to the end of solving problems, kind of bringing it together truths that we can find in all different aspects of life and using that to be able to make the world a better place. That is the epitome of critical thinking. So when we're bringing together scientific ideas or historical ideas and practices or philosophical ideas or practices or even theological tenets, I want to be able to bring together the truth that, that is found inherently in each and every one of them and bring it together in a way that not only ho hopefully makes sense, but is also able to benefit other people. And I hope that by being able to bring together these ideas, I've been able to show why doing, why kind of bringing together different truths from different realms, so to speak, of, of thought can be really useful. And I would hope that people would, would consider the benefits that may have in the, in the grand scheme of things. To kind of wrap up, I, I think this, so to kind of wrap up, I, I think this might be a little bit of a shorter episode, but to wrap up, I think that it's important to consider how confidence can impact bias. So first it's important to understand kind of the more psychological components of it and explore you know, certain confidence-related biases such as the Dunning-Kruger effect and imposter syndrome. I, I think that's important. And I also think it's really important for us to be able to um, find ways to overcome it. However, at the end of the day, I think that critical thinkers need to understand all of those things so that we can more easily address some of the serious problems we find in the world. I'm also super passionate about this topic in particular because um, I think a lot of people just get really nervous in, in today's culture about being able to speak up and say things that that they believe or be able to state the data that they have found. I also want to help people feel confident enough to be able to not only state their ideas, but also not be afraid to be challenged by them. I mean, I, I hope that I can eventually arrive at truth. I hope that the things that I say are true. And I, I hope to be able to continually engage in a lot of these ideas. But I also know that it's important to have the confidence to be able to speak. And I know that if we employ confidence in the right way, we can eventually make the world a better place and hopefully become the, the kind of believers and thinkers that God wants us to be. The take home message, of course, confidence is a tool, use it properly. Don't allow confidence and bias to, uh, you know, make it less likely for you to arrive at incorrect conclusions. That's really the take home message for today. But I, I think that's just about what I wanted to talk to you about today. So thanks for tuning in. Of course, I always appreciate the, the support that I get from, from viewers like you and of course people behind the scenes. 
I really appreciate it. And I hope to be able to continue doing more of this in the future. We've got, we've got a lot of really great stuff planned. And again, if you're able to, feel free to tune in to the Defending Book of Mormon conference that's coming up. Uh, you can either look on the FAIR website, of course, if you have more questions about that. But besides all that, just be sure to have a fantastic rest of your day.